So again, some people say, I don't like church because all the church wants is my money. You know, our, our memory verse for this series is Matthew 16, 18. Anyone want to take a stab? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not what? Prevail against it. So let's say it together. I will build my church and Amen. And it's amazing when you think about the church, how it survived all these centuries. It's got, it's because God's hand has been on it. You know, when I was in college, we did, uh, I was in a worship leadership class, which that's not really my thing, but you had to have to take classes in college that aren't really your thing, right? So one of our projects is we had to visit two different churches that were different from our growing up tradition. Well, I went to a Catholic service, which I very much enjoyed. And then we also went to a very well-known church in the Atlanta area. I won't say the name, but it has a gold dome, and the pastor's last name is Dollar. And uh, so we go to the service, and we get there in the foyer, and there's actually Kleenexes available for the, for the, the congregants to, to snatch up, I suppose, in case they get emotional during the service. And, but the thing I remember most about the service, and it was a fine sermon, but during the offering time, during the offering time, we were instructed to, you know, insert our, you know, offerings into envelopes. And then we were all going to raise our envelopes. And the pastor was going to pray over the envelopes. So that put me in a very awkward position because I did not really come prepared to give. I was there to just kind of do research. Um, so what I decided to do, and I'm just confessing to you now, as a Christian, not as your pastor, that I did not put anything in the envelope, but I sealed it. <laughs> Because I knew I was going to raise something up in the air, right? And you know what? I suspect that I wasn't the only one that did this. So I raised my empty envelope to the Lord in shame. And the pastor prayed over them. Well, needless to say, I think um, this was a situation where there was a little bit of an unhealthy focus on money. And sometimes that happens in the church. So point number one is that giving is often misunderstood in the church. It's misunderstood. Here are some ways that we misunderstand giving. One way that we tend to think about giving is I'm tipping God. I'm tipping God. You know, when you go to a sit-down restaurant for a meal, you know, I expect to get what I'm paying for, right? I expect to get what I'm paying for. And if both the food and the service are adequate, I'll consider leaving a little extra to show my appreciation. But if times are tough, or the church isn't performing up to my expectations, then my presence is payment enough. Thank you. Right? So if we view church, when we give, it's like we're tipping God, but you know what? If we're not really in a good spot or, or the church isn't doing what we want, then we feel free to kind of withhold that. But that, that reveals that that's the way we're viewing it. We're tipping God. Another way we view giving in church is I'm paying dues. Right? Anybody, anybody part of a club? Part of an organization where you pay dues. I know our kids do that at school. Any club has dues, and in order to keep the club open, they're necessary. But can you imagine joining a country club with no dues? What kind of country club would that turn out to be? I mean, how would the fairways be? How would the clubhouse be? How would the pool be? It'd be a pretty poor club. But so we view the church as a club, and we need to pay our dues. And that's also a little bit incorrect. Another way we view it is that God needs something from me, right? You show up, 
there's an emotional appeal, and it's like God needs something from me. In China, there's a phrase that means every favor incurs a debt that must be repaid. It's li shang wang lai. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that. Sometimes we feel like we owe God because he paid our sin debt. So a natural way we seek to repay this debt is by putting money in the offering plate, right? We want to pay God back for all that he's done for us. And again, that's a little bit of a misunderstanding. So these are ways that we misunderstand giving. I'm tipping God. You know, I'm paying dues to keep the club open. Or, you know, God needs something from me. Secondly, giving can easily be misused by the church. And this is times where we felt uncomfortable or maybe hurt. Here are some ways in which the church gets giving wrong as well. One is we use it as a measure of faith. If you're unwilling to give, then you don't trust God. And we use this to pressure people, huh, to express their faith. Anybody ever been in an uncomfortable situation like that in a church? Hopefully not this church. But we use it as a measure of faith. Sometimes churches use this as an indicator of value. You know, sales can get a bad rap, right? You ever, it, we have people that work in sales. And it's sometimes done wrong. But if you're, if you're serving when you're selling, then you're actually doing a service to the customer. But take it, take it from the, the manager's perspective. When you're evaluating employees and you say, you know, I really like Joe or I really like Bob. I mean, they're such great guys. We love having them here. But, man, just look at the numbers. You might have to make a decision here. Sadly, in churches, this also happens because it's difficult to ignore the numbers. Pastors who do not decline financial information, and I am very grateful I have somebody who does that for me. I don't see any numbers or names or amounts, and I'm glad for that because I don't want that burden. But pastors who do not decline this information can inevitably tend to size people up based on their giving. So we use it as an indicator of value in the church sometimes or a measure of faith. And then thirdly, you've seen this and it bothers you. We reward giving or giving potential with responsibility or recognition in the church. And we've all seen this happen. Someone who is blessed financially or who is successful receives preferential treatment. But just so you know, these things are not from God. That are our misunderstandings, you know, tipping God, paying dues, God needs something from me. The church's misuse of giving, using it as a measure of faith, an indicator of value, or rewarding giving or giving potential with responsibility or recognition. This is not from God. These things happen when people get involved in God's work. Because we mess it up, don't we? We mix it up. We get confused. We misuse. But I wanted to share with you this morning God's perspective on both possessions and generosity. Number one is that God owns it all. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to him. So we can just clear away all of that stuff, all the misunderstandings, all the misuses. And this is what I do. I want to understand something. I get down to the most basic level, is that everything is God's. He owns it all. He owns all the stuff. He owns all the land, all the cattle, all the people. It all belongs to him. You know, when, when you inherit something, when I inherit something, we have no trouble acknowledging that we didn't earn it, right? Anybody ever inherited something? What's the, what's the weirdest thing you've ever inherited? Personality. Personality. <laughs> I concur. 
Any, anybody else ever inherited something strange? Or something valuable? Is it easy to recognize that you didn't earn that? It was just given to you, right? But how, 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 much, how long does it take for us to take ownership of it? When we're given something. As soon as it touches our hands, right? You ever seen a child? And you give them a gift, or you give them a toy, or you give them a piece of candy. How long does it take for them to own it? Immediately, right? Mine. Don't you come after it. I'm going to sock you, right? Bill still does that. My friend Ralph pointed out in the Old Testament, he pointed it out Thursday, God only authorized the taking of life to protect life. He never permitted us to take life to protect property. But we've got that backwards in our day, don't we? We feel like it's fully justified. You step on my property, especially in Texas, right? You step on my property, then I have every right to take your life. And this is because God, who's the owner of both people and stuff, knows that one resource is replaceable while the other is not. But we get all mixed up, don't we, when we feel like we own it? And we get so caught up in our stuff and our possessions. You want to get somebody emotional? Try to take something away from them. And we get all caught up and mixed up because we feel like we own it. But God knows that people are the priority. God is partial to people. And one way that he conditions our hearts to care well for his people is by teaching us how to view our stuff. And the first point is that it's, it's his. Everything that you have, everything that I have, it's not mine. It's his. Number two is that God has always had a plan for his followers to manage his resources. God never intended for us to view ourselves as owners, but instead to view ourselves as stewards. And what is a steward responsible to do? Go ahead. Talk back to me. Manage. Manage what? Manage your resources? Right, to manage the owner's resources. Anybody seen the Lord of the Rings? Hopefully a lot, please. No, just a few. In Return of the King, there is a, a gentleman, his name Denethor. And he has been put in charge of the land of Gondor. And I know these are all these, I'm going to get Jack up here to read them in a minute. <laughs> he knows that. So he's in charge of the land of Gondor, and he's been put in charge as a steward while the real king is away, because he's kind of run away and doesn't want to be the king. But he gets mixed up, he gets confused, and so when the real king returns, Lord Denethor doesn't want to give up power. Because yeah. he's, he's, he's gotten confused, he thinks he's the king, he thinks he has the authority, he has the rights, and he, has, he can be in charge of the resources. But when the king comes back, the steward has to give up the throne. So we can manage our resources, which is the way we tend to view things that we have, or we can manage his resources. And this is how you can tell which attitude you hold. We reserve our resources, don't we? It's reserved. It's reserved for what I need. It's reserved for what I want. But if it's God's resources, we want to leverage God's resources. So when an opportunity to bless others or invest in building God's kingdom comes along, we say that we don't have anything to contribute. But what we really mean is that it's reserved. It's reserved for me, right? 
you know, I don't have any money, God. You know, I don't have anything to give, but, you know, I've already booked the vacation. I mean, I've already put a deposit down. It would be irresponsible for me not to go on vacation. You know, I don't have any money, but God, you know, you know I need an upgrade on that car. I mean, the gas mileage on this one's really off, and I need to be a wise steward, so I need to go ahead and get that new car. You know, I don't have any money, God, but, you know, I can't show up to work wearing this. I mean, surely you understand that I need to upgrade my wardrobe so I can look professional, so that I can do my job. You know, I don't, I don't have any money, but, you know, we, we haven't been out to eat in a couple days. I mean, we, we need to get out there and, and, and take care of ourselves. You know, and I, God, I need that gym membership because it's, you know, I need to take care of myself. And, you know, honestly, you know, none of you have a problem with this because y'all look so good. But some folks, it's like, you know, I, I might need to have a little surgery, you know, just to make myself look good. You know, it, it's an investment in myself. But it reveals... Our attitude, are we reserving our resources? Are we leveraging God's resources? And I'm not saying don't pay your bills. I'm not saying don't feed yourselves. I mean, then we'd be bordering on becoming a cult. But it's an attitude. Is it, is it our stuff that we're reserving for ourselves? Or is it God's stuff that we're leveraging for his glory? And so when an opportunity comes along and we can make a difference, like yesterday a number of us came out to make a difference, then our attitude is, hey, this is God's stuff anyway. Why don't I take a bit of it? Why don't I take a piece of it and invest it and leverage it for God? In the Old Testament, God asked each family to give 10% as an acknowledgement that they were only stewards. It also served a practical purpose by providing for the temple workers who basically functioned as civil government and for the poor. So the Old Testament principle is tithe, 10%. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So you see the focus was having food in the temple. Again, this is providing for the Levites who had no land. It's providing for the poor people in the land. This is God's plan for redistribution of wealth. And it's through the church. It was through the temple system. He says, if you'll do that, if you'll entrust me with that portion, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So in other words, if you will acknowledge my ownership, like whose is it, and your stewardship, you're just a steward, you will be blessed. And not only will I provide for your material needs, but you will be shaped and ready to be a blessing. So this is where we're headed. It's not about a rule. It's not about legalism. It's about God affecting your and my heart. And he knows that there is a direct link between our heart and our hands. Right? He knows. And so what we do with our hands reflects what's in our heart. And he wants to make sure that our hands remain open. That we're just stewarding. We're just leveraging his resources. Because we all have met people, we've been people that we get afraid. Huh? It's not about being bad, we're just afraid. And so we start to close our hands to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. But the bad thing is, is and you know this as children, who are the children that attract all the friends? They're like the bad ones. No. Okay, that's another sermon. But who attracts the friends? It's the, it's the ones who share, right? It's the child who has two ice cream cones and they share one. 
And they start attracting people. Their openness, their generosity. And yesterday, when we were all together and we're seeking to serve the underserved in our community, I didn't know a lot of those people. And, and we were all different colors. But the, the camaraderie, the unity that was there was amazing. It was supernatural. And it's because everybody was there to share. Everybody was there to give. And it affected the entire environment. And I believe that's the place that, that's what God wants church to be like. And that's what he talked about in Acts 2. If we're all willing and open. It's not about one person giving and the other one's just kind of cheering them on. Hey, great job. Yeah, good job. I'll just hold on to mine. Thanks. It's not like that. But it's an inspiring environment. The New Testament principle is slightly different. It's not just a straight 10%. It's generosity. 1, Corinthians, or 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. <coughs> Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So it's the principle of generosity. God's saying acknowledge whose it is and then use it in a way that honors me. In other words, God does not want to legislate your giving. Again, it's not about rules. He wants to transform your thinking, my thinking, about whose it is and the fact that I'm just a steward managing his resources, and he wants to affect our heart because there's a link between our heart and our hands. So if we'll trust God and leverage his resources to do good, we will be storing up treasures in heaven. So if you want to make a good investment, you want to have a good 401k, the way to do it is invest by being generous. And you know, I'm not all against building up for retirement. I've taken some steps toward retirement. I wish I was taking bigger steps. But it's about, if you want to really invest, then be generous, then, then live with open hands. So why is God focusing so much on this subject of finances? I mean, it's like you're beating, beating the drum. Stop beating the dead horse, God. I get the point. It's because he knows that the main competitor for your heart and for my heart is our money. In our possessions. Matthew 6 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this divided allegiance is so easy to see in our pets, isn't it? It's real easy to see in our pets. So every night we have this same routine. I go into the living room and the dogs are nice, settled, snuggled into Gracie's lap. If I try to coax them over, they're not having it. They're comfortable. They're warm. They love her. They're loyal to her. And then I go get a bag of pretzels. <laughs> I bring out, you know, skillfully bring those pretzels out, kind of crinkle the bag to make noise, sit out in my spot, and within seconds, within seconds, the dogs have repositioned themselves. And our dachshund, Daisy, is really sly about this. She'll kind of snuggle down in my lap as if she's there just to, to because she loves me. But that nose is twitching. It's kind of involuntary. And I know why she's really there. And so we see that in that moment she reveals that her allegiance is for sale. Her loyalty is for sale. And God knows that we're the same way. And that's why he wants to help us. 
He doesn't want to restrict us. He, he doesn't want to take from us. He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us so that we can be the kind of people that are going to live a satisfying life, the kind of people that are going to make a contribution, the kind of people that are going to have a legacy, and that we're not going to be those, those kind of unhappy, bitter, you know, fearful people, but that we're going to be free to love and to give and to serve. So he wants to free us. Because, number four, God wants our heart more than anything. He doesn't want something from you. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your money. He wants a lot more. He wants a whole lot more. He wants your heart. Matthew 6, 19-21 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. You want to see something sad? Watch somebody who their heart is so invested in their stuff. It's their stuff. They fought for it. They worked for it. They've saved for it. They've scrimped and they've got their stuff. And then they get robbed. Or, or there's fire. And then you're going to see two kinds of people. You're going to see people that are emotional because they've put, so, they put everything into their stuff. But then you're going to see another kind of person. Maybe somebody even in our own church. And they're upset. But there's hope. There's peace. They can move forward. They can continue to be generous. Because they didn't put it all on their stuff. They had an attitude. It's all God's. I'm just stewarding. I'm just leveraging and investing for his glory. And so their heart isn't broken when they lose their stuff. They'll just give it to fish. You know, they don't like it anymore. And they don't, they're not worried about it. They're not trying to extract value from it. They have a completely different attitude. So in other words, how you manage God's resources, it's going to determine where your heart is. And if you reserve them for yourself, which is so hard, it's so tempting, right? We have so little. <laughs> Nobody feels rich. We have so little, it, and I just feel like I need to reserve it and make sure I have enough. But if you reserve it for yourself, then your heart's going to be unavailable. To God. It's going to be unavailable to others. But if you invest his resources generously in a way that reflects his values and his character, then your heart will both belong to him and be available to bless others. Because it's twofold. I mean, our heart's open to God because we see it's all his anyway. And then we're available to him and to bless others. So three action steps this morning and then we'll be done. Number one, start somewhere. Start somewhere. You know, don't start with 50%. Don't go into debt. You know, don't, don't, don't take out a credit card so you can give. But start somewhere. Even if it's just $5. Bring $5 every week. Start somewhere. And secondly, give first. You know, I try to break mine up where I'm giving every week. And give first off the top. That was the Old Testament and the New Testament principle. Give God your best. So start somewhere. Give first and give consistently. And then as we've talked about before, you know, give below begrudging. It's not a rule of law in the New Testament. If, you get, if, you're, if you're thinking, I need to give this much, and then your hands get tight, and you're like, no, I can't do it, I can't afford that, and, and your heart's not willing, then lower it. And lower it until you get below begrudging. But I mean, if you get down to zero, then that kind of defeats the purpose. But start somewhere, give first, and give consistently, and get below begrudging. Because the bottom line today is I give to God 
I give to God not because I'm afraid. I give to God not because I feel guilty. I'm not tipping God. I'm not trying to pay God back. I give to God is an expression that he has my heart. Amen. He has my heart. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus gave all. He gave all to win your heart and to win my heart. There was no manipulation. Jesus didn't say, all right, I'll do this if. There was no manipulation. There was no arm twisting. He simply laid down his life and he died in your place. And he died in my place. The ultimate act of selfless generosity and sacrifice. And thankfully, he is not asking us to die generously as he did. Right? I'm glad about that. Now, there are Christians in other countries where they're laying down their lives, but he's not asking that of you and I here in America. But he is inviting us to allow him to be generous through us. He wants to be generous through us, but he's got to get us ready. We've got to go through boot camp. We've got to go through training. We've got to go through that uncomfortable process of slowly opening our hands inch by inch, giving little bits so he can prepare us to be generous with his stuff to his people. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this morning and this chance to hear from you and from your word. And we do know, God, that in everything that we have, it's yours. And help us, God, shape us, Lord, to be conduits. Because that's what your desire is, God, is you want to bless others through us. You've given us things to manage. You've given us responsibilities to execute. And we're going to do that, God. But help us to retain an attitude of we're just stewarding your resources. And help us to leverage those. After we've paid our bills, after we've taken care of our basic needs, help us to not reserve all the rest for ourselves. But be willing to share and willing to leverage those resources to bless others. It's in Jesus' name I pray.